From the nation's capital to the Sunshine State. It's compelling. The high plains of Kansas and the northeast corner of the land of enchantment. It's Monday. The land of EWTN all across the Lone Star State. It's GRN Alive. Bringing you faith, fun, and facts. Live from the studios of the Guadalupe Radio Network. Join us on the show. Call 877-757-9424. 877-757-9424. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to GRN Alive Monday edition. It is so good to be on with you today. Praise be to Jesus. Did you have a good weekend? Was it nice for you? I mean, uh, a little frustrating for me and yet still awesome at the same time. Have you ever had those moments where it's like both and? both? It's like bittersweet, right? We got to go to Holy Mass, but... And that was the sweet part. The bitter part was all of the stuff that came, with the, like having to register for tickets to go to Holy. Like, that's not right. That felt weird. I'm very grateful that we did get to go to Mass, though, and we did get to receive uh, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Blessed Sacrament. God there to give us his life, physically inside of our bodies. The bread come down from heaven. And did you know that there's a story coming out uh, about German churches giving out Holy Communion in baggies like Jesus' takeout food or something? I'm so scandalized by that. It just drives me up a, a wall. We're going to talk about that here in a minute. But our guest on the show today is Dr. Teresa Deicher. She is with Sound Choice Pharmaceuticals and Ave Maria Biotech. She has uh, an FDA-approved uh, therapy for cancer, I think, that's coming out. We'll talk to her about that. And there, it may even be uh, able to help COVID patients as well. But we're going to be talking about the science behind vaccines. Why would it be bad for human tissue or cells, specifically fetal cells, to be involved in vaccines? Why is that a bad thing? We've talked about the moral uh, issues surrounding that. Uh, we had Bishop Strickland on last week to talk about his uh, help right the wrong campaign he put out a pastoral letter we discussed that with him last week and the week before we talked with debbie venage from the children of god for life uh, c-o-g-f-o-r-l-i-f-e.org about all the vaccines that are at play right now for covid and which ones are using aborted fetal uh, cells as a part of the production process and which ones weren't today we're going to be talking to a, a stem cell scientist uh, somebody who has worked and made her life career in this field, and she's going to give us some great insight on why, as lay folk, as Catholics, we should be paying attention to this, why we should not tolerate any vaccine whatsoever uh, produced immorally, and, and the dangers that it could cause us or one of our loved ones, our children even, and she'll help us to better understand that on today's program. Plus, uh, Teresa Kamara is back from HoustonCoalition.com uh, to talk about the pro-life issues. We have Tim Mott here ready to read the news. Adrian Fonseca is back in the studio two weeks in a row. I'm feeling a little spoiled uh, to have Adrian in the studio with us two weeks in a row. And then David Magianis is running the board for us. So let's begin with prayer. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of Virgins, my mother, To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O mother of the word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy, hear and answer me. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. And now the news with Tim Mott. 
At least 246,926 people globally have died from COVID-19. Three and a half million have been infected by the novel coronavirus that causes it, and over one million of those have recovered. President Trump predicted on Sunday night that the death toll from the pandemic ravaging this country might reach as high as 100,000 in the United States, far higher than he had forecast just weeks ago, even as he pressed states to begin reopening the shuttered economy. He also accused the Chinese government of making a horrible mistake in its coronavirus response and of then orchestrating a cover-up that allowed the pathogen to spread around the world. A segment of Americans say that their faith has grown stronger since the coronavirus epidemic began, including 27% of Catholics, though the rise seems to be most pronounced among those who were already more religious than most, according to a survey from the Pew Research Center. Uh, Pew Research Associate Claire Gekowitz says that the most religious Americans, those who frequently pray and attend service, at least in typical times, and who rate religion as very important to them, are far more likely than others to say their faith has grown stronger as a result of the coronavirus outbreak. She added that the self-reported strengthening of religious faith has been most pronounced within a segment of the public, etc., etc. The findings come from a survey released on April 30th. Italy is among the countries easing social distancing restrictions on Monday, including reopening factories, construction sites, hairdressers, and libraries. Others include Spain, Nigeria, Azerbaijan, Malaysia, and Lebanon. Guidelines issued by the Italian government over the weekend noted that visits to distant relatives will be allowed, including the children of cousins or the cousins of spouses, as well as visits to anyone with whom one has a, quote, stable bond of affection. But they did not say whether friendship counted as a stable bond of affection until an off-the-record message to media outlets from the Prime Minister's office explained that visits to friends are still not permitted. The Holy See has announced that new measures have been taken against officials at the Vatican Secretariat of State as part of ongoing investigations into financial dealings at the Curiel Department. A statement sent to journalists on April 30th confirms that a month-long Vatican investigation is ongoing, which aims to dig into complicated financial transactions and investments made by officials at the Secretariat over a period of years. And finally, Pope Francis has raised Cardinal Luis Antonio Tagli to the rank of Cardinal Bishop in a new sign of his esteem for the former Archbishop of Manila. The elevation caps a rapid rise for Tagli, who only took up his post, his new post in Rome this February. And those are your GRN headlines for Monday, May 4th. Blessed Carferino Jimenez Mala, pray for us. I, I, I know I, I butchered the man's name and I'm sorry about that, but... Blessed Caparino, otherwise known as Pele, uh, an incredible uh, witness to the faith in our church and in our history. He was, uh, you know, one of these gypsies in Spain. And, you know, if you've ever been to Europe and you've encountered gypsies, you, you might even have negative feelings about gypsies that beg or, or, or whatever, however you perceive them. But, you know, there have been many, uh, like, uh, for instance, uh, St. John Paul II, for instance, used to love to take the gypsies in. It would... It would confound the Swiss Guard in many occasions because they would steal things inside the Vatican. But uh, JP2 did not care. He was like, you bring them in. He wanted to witness to them. He wanted to be in communion with them. He would say mass for them, hear their confessions, and he would hang out with them. And uh, so this has always been one of the troubles of Europe, these uh, these groups of people who uh, tend to wander and travel around. And, and Blessed Caffarino was among these types of people. But he t- he seemed to bridge the gap between these two types of worlds. Uh, as a little boy, he was sent out to beg in the streets to to collect and to find things. Sometimes 
let's just say creatively, find things that maybe didn't belong to him. And uh, he would often have to starve. He, he would even say as a little kid he would come back, and if he didn't see smoke rising from the camp, he knew there was no food that day to eat, and he would have to starve. But he had something special in him that was different than his than his uh, friends and his family members. He, he tended to offer this suffering up with such grace. As he grew older, he, he found himself uh, in, a, in a unique position to, uh, at the end of, especially at the end of World War I, where he would take horses that were used in the war effort, he would buy them, and then he would go around, he would sell them. He had a great love for animals in particular. He, uh, very, he cared for them with great uh, uh, care and with great uh, intention, and he, he treated his animals with great dignity and respect, always begging and finding the food necessary to, to provide for even their needs. Uh, he was married in the gypsy tradition uh, for 32 years before he was married in the Catholic faith. Uh, in fact, he was 51 when they celebrated their marriage uh, sacramentally. And uh, he, he turned out to be an incredible uh, saint for our times. Uh, Blessed Caffarino Jimenez Mala, a member of the St. Vincent de Paul Society. He often uh, helped people who uh, were homeless or on the streets begging. He would provide for their needs. He would always find creative ways. And if someone said, oh, I, I don't have a way to get my product to market, he would just give them a horse you know he would he would just do whatever he could whenever he could but he always witnessed to the faith the power of the catholic faith and the sacraments and the life of the lay faithful uh, he was a catechist to children he would often take the gather the children almost like the pied piper would and take them to the hillside outside of his spanish town and he would teach them the catholic faith he also had a great love and devotion for the holy eucharist and for the last 20 years of his life he made a daily reception of Holy Communion at daily Mass, and he prayed his rosary very, very fervently. In fact, this is what kind of uh, got him in trouble. In 1936, when there was a revolution in Spain, uh, and as many revolutions are, they are wars against God himself. And the anarchists in Spain uh, wanted to kill God. They wanted to destroy God from society, and so they, they went to war against the church. And uh, and Caffarino Pele saw a priest being assaulted by these anarchists in the streets of ni- in 1936, and he came to their defense. Now he's a big guy; he's very tall. I think he was over six feet tall. Uh, and he, in in his way, he had a lot of uh, strength and courage. And he knew that if he saw an injustice, he had to take an action. He had to do something. You can't just sit around and watch things happen in front of you and do nothing. And uh, Pele, he took action. He came to the defense of this priest being beaten by these anarchists. Well, they beat Caffarino, and then they searched him, and they found a rosary in his pocket. So they threw him in a prison. The prison was a convent. They had kicked out the Carmelite nuns from their monastery, their convent, and uh, they used their convent as a prison, and he was stuck in this little cell with these other prisoners for like 15 days. And during that time, he prayed, uh, you know, much like St. Maximilian Kolbe in his last two weeks of his life in the Nazi bunker at Dachau, or, or, you know, not Dachau, um, What's the other, uh, what's the other? Auschwitz. Pr- Auschwitz, thank you. I'll take, uh, German Nazi concentration camps for 200, Tim. Uh, Auschwitz. Like, uh, Maximilian Kolbe in the cell in Auschwitz, uh, Caffarino Pele, he sat there and he prayed his rosary every day, all day long, and it inspired the other prisoners. But the, uh, one anarchist, which was a prison guard, knew him because he was well known. He was well loved. He, he was so charitable and so good to everyone. He made friends of rich and poor and famous and not famous and the average and everybody knew 
knew who he was for his great love for the faith and his charity. And this young prison guard, this young anarchist, tried to get him to stop praying. Oh, Pele, to save your own life. Give me your rosary so it, it won't, I'll get you out of here. All you gotta do is give me your rosary. All you gotta do is stop praying and we'll, we'll release you. Imagine the temptation to save one's own life. And all they had to do was give up their rosary. I mean, after all, you can get another one when you get out, right? I mean, you can make one out of string after all. You could get a rosary literally anywhere. You can get them by the dozens. Why does this one matter? Pele was like, nope, you're not getting my rosary and I ain't gonna stop praying. It ain't going to happen. After 15 days, they took him out and they lined him up in front of a firing squad. His last words were, Viva Cristo Rey. Long live Christ the King. And he was shot dead and he was thrown. He was stripped naked and thrown into a, an unmarked grave with other bodies and they threw lime over him and then dirt and his body would never be found again. And yet we remember his name. He's an incredible man. He's a saint for our times. And I think if we are very careful at learning and studying the lives of the saints, we'll see that it takes great courage to face the world around us that wants to so eagerly kill God from amongst us. And we must make the choice. Do we live for Christ the King, or do we live for yet another day, another moment of time on this beloved planet of ours? Blessed Catherine Jimenez Mala, pray for us. And with that, I welcome Teresa Kamara back to the show. Good morning, Teresa. Good morning, Joe. It's good to be here. It's always good to be here. It is. It's such a blessing to be around so many people that want to practice their faith and are practicing their faith. And 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 the beauty of the rosary is the fact that there's so many promises Our Lady has given us that it will be a protection um, at that time of death. So that way we can have that extra hope in, in getting into heaven. And Amen. So, yeah, uh, we really want to rely on that. Um, and so I really want to encourage people to also think about as as you are able to um, during this time, pray that rosary outside of an abortion facility because yes. you can literally become a physical sign of hope for women that are desperately in need of hope. Um, that we are now, though, also seeing a, an increasing trend or we're likely to see an increasing trend of what is called a teleabortion. Thirteen states are going to be targeted by this particular group. Group that are going to be experimenting, mm-hmm. um, putting forward RU486 that's FDA approved into the mail and sending it to them. This is extremely dangerous for women because a lot of women do not know how far along their pregnancy is. The further along she is, the more likely she's going to need to have surgical intervention in order to save her life following a failed chemical abortion. The FDA's only approved the RU486 through 10 weeks. And even if she is only 10 weeks, she still can have major complications. Um, up to 7% of the women will need to be hospitalized, even if she is in the approval area. And even if, she, and even if it is quote unquote successful, that means a child dies. Her own baby dies. And she and could so, potentially die and too. And she could, and 24 women have, offic- have yeah. actually died. Um, but we're also seeing where, um, if there's a lot of, um, in the mail, RU486 coming through to women from various sources that are not FDA approved, and they can be damaged. And so the packaging can be damaged. The women can be a higher risk. Yeah. And then they're told by these videos, these Internet videos, 
oh, well, just say that you're having a miscarriage. Like, you don't have to tell them that you're having a chemical abortion. Right. And if they do that, then one of the, the recorded as maternal deaths, and so we're going to see a spike. We're very likely to see a spike in maternal deaths that could that are likely to be from this particular experiment. So, you know, and so if you please have, say a prayer, please. And if know, know that women are not alone. A lot of them are taking this safety. Like, they're panicked. Yeah. They're, they're just they're trying to find a way out. And so look at optionline.org. And optionline.org actually has helped 105 women. Mm. Just in March, I was going to say women to reverse to the, go through the abortion pill reversal. So the there doctors, is help for them. the doctors who've been trained with the Napro technology, mm-hmm. uh, they are they can reverse chemical abortions, or at least they have some success rates at reversing chemical abortions, depending on how far along you are in the process. So if you know of a woman who has gone down this road and it's not too late, maybe reach out to what was the organization you referred so, to? AbortionPillReversal.com is the organization that helps to reverse that. And if she takes the first pill and she wants to stop the process, then they can give her extra progesterone mm. um, and and help her. And they've saved over 600 babies. Um, and then also, if for, if for some reason there is a medical need for you to space your children, because there are legitimate ways to handle natural family planning um, and... You can look at NAPRO technology through the Creighton method yeah. and and do that naturally and not be harming your marriage, not be harming your the sexual integrity of your relationship. Amen. So I also want to mention uh, we're going to be speaking with Dr. Teresa Deicher here in just about uh, 10 or 15 minutes from now, just under 15 minutes. Uh, she is uh, the founder of Sound Choice Pharmaceuticals or Ave Maria Biotech, and uh, she is a scientist, a stem cell scientist. And. It ties into this conversation about these uh, tele-abortions because uh, we look at why there is such a drive for the use of – why is there a drive for abortion in, in the world today? Why is there such uh, a push to uh, to abort babies and then take those babies and sell the, the, the baby body parts, as we saw with David Delighton, into the pharmaceutical and medical research business? She can help us to understand why that is. Why do we need a human cells involved in – the vaccine production process at all, according to these these companies, and she's going to help us understand some of that today on the program. But uh, there is a story that I really want to touch on. So before I run out of more time, I want to try to bring it up. Um, but uh, Teresa, I'll give you another chance to finish out the pro life news as well. But uh, there was a story over the weekend that I saw that really made me um, nauseous. It made me sick. It, it angered was very me. Very upsetting. It angered me. Yeah. And the uh, the headline was Jesus in a baggie. And uh, the headline said, uh, Cardinal Robert Seurat, Prefect for the Doctrine of the Faith, reacts to reports of the Most Holy Eucharist being distributed like a drive through fast food item. And I thought, oh, this cannot be true. This has got to be fake news. There is a picture from Complicit Clergy, who I first saw the article from. I shared it actually on my Facebook feed, of, our, of uh, hosts in baggies with names on them. I, I don't... I'm... I can't tell you whether or not these hosts are consecrated or not. I hope for the love of all that is good and holy and righteous that these are unconsecrated hosts. If they are consecrated, 
it's a sacrilege of it's an it's an insane sacrilege to me. Well, it's ex- incredibly disrespectful to our Lord. There is an appropriate way to handle yeah. the blessed sacrament, and that is through distribution through a pix. There has to be specific right. people who are approved through the church. They're taught how to distribute communion. You can't just pick him up as if he's you know just another item or fast food or something that you can just stick into a box with your name on it. This yeah. is Christ. This is God, and you would never stick another person into a bag and say, well, this is your, you know, funny, this is your person. Sarah said that too. He you said know? the same thing. He used the same exact I, I, and I didn't metaphor it, so. that you, you just did. So uh, when, okay, Complicit Clergy is a website that popped up after the McCarrick scandal back in the summer of shame, 2018. By the way, have we ever gotten the report on Cardinal McCarrick from the Vatican? It was promised. Uh, Bishop Strickland asked for it more than once, as well as other bishops. We, we, to date, it's never been released. We have no idea what the outcome of that story is. So complicit clergy came up as a result to all of the wave of scandal after scandal that we've been reporting here on GRN Alive ever since then. And so I thought, well, we got to corroborate the story. Are there any other sources and uh, that we could go to? They reference a newspaper, La Stampa, which is a, a legitimate uh, newspaper in Italy. We've we've referenced that particular site uh, other times as well as the German as. Uh, some churches in Germany were adopting this practice of putting consecrated hosts in baggies and then distributing them to people in order to prevent contamination, so to speak. So I, I, I looked around for other sources. Crux is also reporting on this story. You can find it over at cruxnow.com. Uh, Top Vatican Cardinal dismisses takeout communion as insane is the headline there. And then um, there was another, uh, uh, da- the Daily Compass, uh, which I had never heard before, also reported on this story. Uh, they quote in their interview, they say it's a, a personal interview they had with Cardinal Seurat. It says, quote, recently and in Italy, there has been talk about a solution which has already been adopted in Germany by some whereby the body of Christ is packaged to allow the Italian Catholics to return to it whilst avoiding contamination. States the newspaper La Stampa, consideration is being given to a do-it-yourself communion with takeaway hosts previously consecrated by the priest, which would be closed individually in plastic bags placed on shelves in the church. Cardinal Seurat's response, no, 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 no. He replies, shocked on the phone, it's absolutely not possible. God deserves respect. You can't put him in a bag. I don't know who thought of this absurdity, even if it is true that the deprivation of the Eucharist is certainly a suffering. The matter of how to communicate is not open to negotiation. We communicate it in a different, in a dignified way, worthy of God who comes to us. The Eucharist must be treated with faith. We cannot treat it as a trivial object. We are not at the supermarket. This is total madness, unquote. He goes on to say, something like this has already taken place in Germany. Unfortunately, many things are done in Germany that are not Catholic, but that doesn't mean you have to imitate them. Recently, I heard a bishop say that in the future there will be no more Eucharistic assemblies, only the liturgy of the word, but that is Protestantism, unquote. So I leave you to read the uh, articles mentioned here, one from, again, the Daily Compass, a direct interview with Cardinal Seurat, and the Crux, uh, Crux Now also has a, 
an article up about it, and of course, Complicit Clergy, if you're into that. It's a very short one over on Complicit Clergy. I recommend Crux Now or, or the other one. But it's, it's just, it's mind-boggling. It's, it's mind-boggling in, a, to in me. a way because, I mean, there's also the reality that we know as Catholics, Christ is fully present in every particle. It's not like it's just the host. So what's going to happen if those hosts are broken inside of those bags as they're being moved around they're, or stuck? Yes. What, what are you going to do? Stick it into your purse whenever you're taking it home? Like, it's, well, it's that's terrible. been part of the problem. If you get a book called The Eucharistic Miracles, uh, it's old now. It's been out, I don't know, a few decades at the very least. And it, it's a great book. It's published by Tan. And it recounts a lot of the Eucharistic miracles over the past many centuries. And if you look at these Eucharistic miracles, there's a common thread. There on many of them, it started because someone tried to steal a consecrated host in order to provide it to, to some occult witchcraft black you know mass type of setting. And in the or in the process of of trying to do that, the Lord took that evil and used it for good by creating the Eucharistic miracle, a bleeding host. And uh, and you see in these stories, these official accounts of Eucharistic miracles, uh, that uh, they would place it in their in their purse, or they'd put it in their mouth for a moment and walk away, take it out of their mouth, put it in a napkin, and you see all this stuff, and it, it just it's shocking. Recently, uh, our friend Gabriel Castillo uh, from Gabby After Hours on YouTube produced a whole video uh, about the, the the particles that fall off of hosts, and he 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 put it on a black table, just took some unconsecrated hosts to demonstrate how particles fall mm-hmm. off very easily from these hosts. They could fall onto the ground, onto tables, onto your hands, and every and our priest at mass on Sunday said every single particle is the body, blood, soul, and divinity mm-hmm. of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And he says if you have to receive on the hand. Pay attention after self-communicating. He says, look for the particles and then receive those as well. Mm-hmm. And we discussed this before the lockdown, before the the stay at home, you can't come to mass orders that went out a month ago. Um, we talked about how uh, you can communicate, you can receive our Lord on the tongue in a worthy and a, a good way and in a way that will not contaminate the priest or yourself. It, you know, in fact, uh, uh, the 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 instructions the priest offered over the, at the mass over the weekend was very clear on how to do this, and he, and even Bishop Strickland has discussed this on our show. Well, I know um, at the at the mass where I was able to go this Sunday, thanks be to God, um, the priest actually offered communion after mass. So he had so we, he went through mass, he gave communion to the deacons that were there. And uh, then after Mass, he was able to go back, wash his hands, and then distribute yeah. communion, you know, on the tongue, yeah. if you prefer it, or if you do have it in your, if you do receive Jesus on your hand, you know, make sure you check your hand for any particles, because that is completely Christ. And my concern yeah. with this whole bag issue is that... How many people will even think about it? They won't be mean. They won't be trying to commit sacrilege, but they're just going to pick, you know, take out our Lord. And then what? They're going to throw the bag away. Are they going to be taught to sew right. the bag? Are they going to yes. be taught to make sure that all the particles, yeah. you know, if there's any left yeah. are, are, are dissolved yeah. in, in a water? And then how are they going to dispose of the water? Do they know how to do that? Right. You know, there's, there's certain training that goes into making sure that Christ is yeah. consumed by a, the person that is a faithful Catholic, yeah. there is extensive procedures for that to protect our Lord and to just leave him up in a, yeah. you know, in a bag in on a shelf somewhere where anyone could grab him because we're just assuming that you're going to be faithful. Yeah. 
that's very dangerous. You know, and the church uh, has, from its first day, believed in the Holy Eucharist as the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I encourage uh, every Catholic to go back and study the early church fathers. I mean, just focus in the first century. Uh, St. Ignatius of Antioch spoke a very clearly, we're talking 110 AD, he was a disciple of the Apostle John who stood at the foot of the cross and watched our Lord and Savior die on that cross. Uh, St. Ignatius talked very clearly in his seven last letters before he was eaten by lions in the Roman Colosseum about the the teaching of the church and the divinity of Christ in the Holy Eucharist. Uh, you know, one of my favorite heretics, uh, Tertullian, who I have to say, more and more and more, I'm feeling very in harmony with the poor man. Which is why you keep asking for uh, prayer not I to ju- become a heretic. I don't want to die now heretic. Now I know why that, where that phrase keeps coming from. I do from. not want to die heretic. <laughs> I do not. I do not. I do not. But I can appreciate his zealousness. And, you know, I think of... Uh, you know, the book of the Apocalypse, you know, Revelation chapter 3, you know, would that you were hot or cold, but not lukewarm, because I'll spew you out of my mouth, as our Lord says there. And uh, Tertullian was definitely hot. He was, he couldn't take any more cowardice from the lay faithful and for the bishops and from priests, and he died heretic, unfortunately. But go read his uh, letter, or go read his book, uh, The Flesh of Christ. We're talking 250 A.D., very early on. Uh, when you read these documents, St. Justin, uh, uh, the martyr, 150 AD, uh, begging the, the government of Rome to stop persecuting Christians by explaining the Holy Mass and how communion is given out at Mass in 150 AD. And, uh, ponder the bread come down from heaven, the body, blood, soul, and divinity, as St. Paul says, that we have a participation in the body and blood of the Lord, which he was commanded to hand on. And in these great times of difficulty and confusion and everything else, we have to heed to those words. St. Paul, uh, in his writing to the Thessalonians in chapter 4, he says, in the, in the, in the face of apostasy, in the face of scandal, in the face of confusion, in the end times, hold fast to the tradition of the church. And I have to say, when I read this, I was just plain angry at reading this. Please, please no more. No more. Hold to the faith. Teach the faith. Love the faith. Be sold out for the faith. Make the decision. Make the decision. Die in, in, in grace. Go to heaven for eternity. Become a saint. Because there is nothing else. There is nothing else. And we must ask the Lord to help us make us make us saints and pray. Pray for the bishops. Pray for for the church. Pray for the especially the church in Germany with all of the shenanigans that have been going on there. Let us pray and offer acts of reparation for the sins that are that have so offended our Lord. And this is definitely one of them that has uh, just it just got me. I threw up in my mouth when I read the headline. But we got to go to break, and we're going to come back with Dr. Teresa Dyser. Go ahead. Well, I was just thinking, like, one other thing I would highly encourage our listeners to look into is check out Eucharistic miracles. There are so many of them, and they're all around the world. And so um, just, you know, maybe eventually when all this is lifted, you know, we can be inspired to take a pilgrimage to go see one of these Eucharistic miracles because Christ has proven himself to us again and again. Amen. Praise be to Jesus Christ in all things. All right, we're going to go to a break, and we're going to come back. We're going to be speaking with Dr. Teresa Deicher. She is with Sound Choice Pharmaceuticals and Ave Maria Biotech. 
We're going to get the science behind vaccines. Why is human cells involved in vaccines a bad thing? We've talked about the immorality of it, but why is it a bad thing from a science perspective? We have a stem cell scientist to explain all of that coming up in about uh, two minutes from now. By the way, did you know we have a brand new website? It's true. GRNonline.com. You should check it out. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to GRN Alive. Now is a great time to call 877-757-9424. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. This is Cecil Anderson from the North Texas Station. Clearly, this Easter is quite different from the Easter's we've experienced in recent memory. And I know at least I have been struggling to fully delve into the season. But despite all that is going on in the world, the tomb is still empty. Christ still died for our sins, conquered death, and rose again. Let's take this time where our lives are simplified as a challenge to truly meditate on and celebrate this joyous occasion. May you all have a blessed Easter season. The other day, I received a letter saying, Dear Douglas, I recently acquired a car that I have no use for, and I'd like to donate it to someone in need. However, I don't even know where to begin. Sincerely, Good steward. Well, steward, just call 888-784-3476 or log online to grnonline.com and click on the donation link. Well, steward, I hope that helps. God bless you, and thanks for listening to Catholic Radio on the GRN. Are you ready? Get set? Go! Hi, Joe McLean here, and I'm excited to share with you that the Ready, Set, Go online auction will be kicking off all across the GRN this Friday morning. It's a wonderful way to support our Catholic media apostolate, helping to share the good, the true, and the beautiful all across the Guadalupe Radio Network. And you just might find that item that you really want to bid on. Log on to grnonline.com, scroll down to the local events, and click on the auction. Hey, Donnie, what does the catechism say that the purpose of life is? The no love and serve God to be happy in the next. That's right. So we can be happy with Him in the next life. As parents, we're the primary educators of our Catholic faith to our children. And if you don't know your Catholic faith as well as you should, that's okay. Just tune in daily to the Guadalupe Radio Network by logging online to grnonline.com. The Guadalupe Radio Network. Listen, learn, love, and pass it on. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to GRN Alive Monday edition. I'm Joe McLean, by the way. It's good to be on with you. Real quick, before we jump into our interview, I want to mention, as I said, going to the break, we've got a brand new website out, and I really would love for you to check that out, grnonline.com. It's designed to know your location, and if you will allow your web browser to uh, allow our website to know your location, I promise we won't sell it to the World Health Organization or to Bill Gates or to what? Apple. We won't, we won't do any of that. What? But we will deliver to you the GRN brand with your local information, your local radio station with its call sign, with its programming, the local shows, the contact information, your local events. And so there's a great value in enabling those location services when you visit the website grnonline.com. By the way, we're going to be launching an auction, an online auction on Friday morning, some very cool items there. And if you go to the new website and you look, you scroll down to the local information, you can see the auction click on that you can see those items we're going to be adding a few more this week and we'll be launching that on friday so look forward to that but joining us on the phone right now 
is Dr. Teresa Deicher. She is the uh, founder and lead scientist at Sound Choice Pharmaceutical Institute, whose mission is to educate the public about vaccine safety, as well as to pressure manufacturers to provide better and safer vaccines for the public. Uh, she obtained her doctorate from Stanford University Molecular and Cellular Physiology in 1990 and completed uh, postdoctrinal work, postdoctoral work rather, at the University of Washington. And uh, she is on with us now. Good morning, Dr. Dyser. Good morning. How are you? Praise Jesus, I'm alive. It, 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 you're on the you're on the West Coast, so it's very early over there, I guess. It is 6:30 a.m. Yes. <laughs> well, thank Not you for getting up really. today. Thank you for uh, being on with us. We've spent the last three weeks really talking about the, this topic in light of the great race to provide a cure. To COVID-19, um, there are some concerns that we have as Catholics about uh, what that would mean and whether or not we should accept any cure just for any reason, just because we need to have one. So we had Debbie Vintage from uh, Children of God for Life on, and she gave us the sort of the, sub- the summary of which vaccines were at play that she knew of and which ones con- contained uh, aborted fetal cells and which ones didn't. Then we had Bishop Strickland on last week, and he's launched a whole campaign to try to raise awareness to this called Right the Wrong, and he's trying to also uh, lobby our government to say we don't want this Stuff. We don't want uh, immoral vaccines, and so now we're excited to have you on to help further clarify and bring some information. So, uh, but before we jump into that conversation, Doctor Dyser, would you give us uh, give us the summary of your work at Sound Choice Pharmaceuticals? What have you been up to all these years? Well, our focus is on um, uh, really trying to understand the health consequences of using human cell lines, particularly fetal cell lines, whether they come from an electively aborted baby or some other fetal source, and the contaminants uh, that would be in vaccines if those cell lines were used. And the fetal contaminants have great potential to cause harm uh, because they uh, are present in levels that are high enough um, that are known to trigger autoimmune reactions as well as to insert into the recipient's DNA and cause mutations. That's definitely a topic I want you to expand upon um, <laughs> because I think that's an important one for the average you know, lay faithful to really pay attention to uh, why it matters that we should not allow these, I mean, besides the moral issue of abortion, why we shouldn't allow these uh, portafetal tissues uh, to be used in the production of our vaccines or therapies or whatever. Real quick, though, am I not... Am I, I'm under the understanding that you've had recently uh, a therapy that's been approved by the FDA for cancer? So our lead drug um, has uh, some fascinating activity, and we stumbled upon this accidentally. We were developing the drug for something else, and my lead scientist, working very long hours about two years ago, accidentally overdosed our mice. Oh, And at these... At these doses, so it was an accident, uh, but at these doses, these just supercharged cancer and viral killing cells were mobilized by our drug. Wow. And the drug has phenomenal activity against very aggressive cancer models that uh, um, other approved drugs do not because these 
these models are very aggressive. And so we have uh, uh, FDA approval for clinical trials in terminal no-option lymphoma, but we are also now seeking approval to treat uh, coronavirus because these same cells, they're programmed by nature to kill not only cancer but viruses. And so we think we could have a, a benefit uh, for many of these um, infected individuals with the coronavirus and potentially a solution to a global pandemic. And this, this pandemic has to be, uh, it has to be beaten on a global level or it will just continue to come back. So uh, we are really hopeful that, that, that we have the solution. And, you know, we're, we're nobodies here in Seattle, Washington. Um, but as I tell people, only David killed Goliath. So. Well, you might be, in, you might feel like you're a nobody, but I would say 23 pa- patents as an inventor is hardly a nobody. I mean, I, I'm not familiar with the program, but uh, as far as the 23 patents is, is quite, quite a lot <laughs> scientifically, I would think. What is the well, timeline I, for your I think therapy? It's 35 now, but. Oh, 35. 35. <laughs> There you go. Um, Our our drug is uh, uh, GMP, manufactured to GMP standards by a global pharmaceutical company, and we are ready to go. We are just waiting for FDA approval to start clinical trials. So... How like give us a sense of the timeline? How long does it take a therapy like yours to make it through the process and then become available at our doctor's office? Well, the onset of action is is six hours, and in cancer patients, we know within forty eight hours whether they respond or not. And we have in very terminal, no option pediatric and adolescent cancer patients, we have a 75% complete response rate. Wow. So we are hoping that we will have that same level of effectiveness in the uh, coronavirus uh, patients. My, my, so qu- my question is, like, how long does it take to get approved through FDA, and then and how long does it take to, at that point to become an available therapy at our, with our doctor locally? Well, we anticipate uh, complete approval in about 15 months from now, but that could be accelerated. Mm. So what you have to do, uh, we, we'll, we'll be doing dose escalation, and we're going to be starting at a dose that, that we know is one-third of our optimal effective dose. But we have a phenomenal safety profile, and again, uh, we're just blessed to have good safety. Uh, we have that profile because other people have figured out how to prevent the side effects of our drug. And so we do that with a readily available over-the-counter or prescribed medicines. And so we've been able to, you know, basically eliminate the toxic side effects. All drugs have side effects, mm. uh, but most of them cannot be eliminated. And we're just lucky that our side effects can be eliminated. So we would ask the FDA, especially in the urgent situation we have, to accelerate the dose escalation and the approval process. We're talking and, with, and we don't know, you know, how fast they'll accelerate it. We're talking with Dr. Teresa Deicher. She is with Sound Choice Pharmaceuticals, and uh, this is exciting news that you have this therapy that's on the, the verge of being available to the public. 
that could treat both cancer and the COVID. And so we're going to be praying about that. Hopefully that gets accelerated. I, I want to transition back into what you said a little bit ago, and that is, uh, why, because we talked about the immorality in the, uh, versus morality of vaccine production with Debbie and with uh, Bishop Strickland. But why in particular, from a scientific point of view, would it be bad to have uh, aborted fetal cells used in the production of vaccines? Why is that harmful to the human person? So it, it's harmful on many levels. And the, the first reason it is harmful is that even though the, the cell lines that are used were taken from electively aborted babies, that, you know, occurred back in the 1960s or 1970s, acceptance of those vaccines um, allows the continued use of babies for medical research. And these babies are, are they're aborted alive and, mm. and dismembered while they are alive. Mm. That is a moral atrocity that affects all human beings and it affects us on multiple levels so first of all that that is a great concern and then there are the health consequences to injecting the contaminants the fetal dna fragments that contaminate the vaccines into our children and scientists have told us how dangerous this is through several fields. One is the field of gene therapy, where they're trying to get DNA to go into cells. And they have taught us that primitive or fetal DNA, that's a a a short fragment, readily inserts into stem cells. Mm. And those insertions are mutations and can have devastating consequences on our bodies. Can you give us an example? Um, can I give you an example? Well, just looking at gene therapy, uh, the first uh, gene therapy trial trying to treat uh, what's called severe combined um, immunofici- immunodeficiency mm. skid. Those would be like the Bubble Boys. Do you remember John Travolta? I do remember that. (laughs) That goes back like 40 years, but I do remember the Bubble Boy, yes. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. So, okay. All right. I've aged myself, but that's okay. (laughs) So, uh, to those children, they essentially gave what contaminates vaccines. They gave a a retrovirus Mm. fragment to lead the DNA more efficiently into the cell and a small fragment of uh, primitive DNA to correct the mutation these boys have. And uh, they predicted that it would take a trillion people to be treated before they would seek cancer. That was the prediction. Wow. A trillion. What, uh, four of nine boys developed cancer from the mutations caused by that insertion. Wow. So we know that those contaminants are very dangerous. Why why is there is there not a way to remove contaminants from these vaccines? I mean, is there no way to get it down to a pure state? Well, whenever you purify a final product, um, you lose product. So there's a balance between purity and yield. 
And if vaccines were purified so that these contaminants were no longer dangerous, the yield would be so low and the vaccine would be so expensive that people would think hard before they ever took it. No one would take the vaccine because it would be too expensive. So they don't do that. So they're, they're, um, they're willing, meaning like the FDA who approves these, I suppose, is willing to live with the consequences that these contaminants pose uh, because of money? No, no, no. That's the pharmaceutical companies. Oh, I see. And you know, when, when the FDA approved this, and uh, they, they didn't have the information that we have now. They did not know how dangerous this was. Mm. So, um, they, they really, you know, should, should revisit this issue. Gene therapy and immun- immunology have shown us how dangerous these contaminants are. But when they first approved this, they did not have this data. We're talking with Dr. Teresa Deicher. She is with Sound Choice Pharmaceuticals. We're talking about the science, sort of getting to know what goes on behind uh, the production process for these vaccines and why there's issues that we should be paying attention to as lay faithful. You know, it's funny, Dr. Deicher, last week uh, we were talking with Bishop Strickland and from a Catholic perspective on why we should be, uh, you know, outspoken on this matter right now. Uh, and, you know, we both sort of jokingly lamented that oh, we got to wrap our brains around, you know, DNA, RNA, vaccine science. Like, I'm just a knuckle dragger. I, I mean, like, it, it feels so painful to have to stop and think and and figure out, uh, you know, what scientists have spent many years learning and and uh, and working on. And, you know, the average person now has to pay attention to some of this. But that's true. Uh, it's it almost seems that if we don't pay attention, no one's is there anybody out there paying attention on our behalf? Right. It almost seems like that's not the case. We if, if it's not up to us to look at these, then we're almost out of luck because we're just going to be given these vaccines without thinking about it too much. Well, and that's one of the reasons why it was so great to have on Debbie, because she has a list that I saw that you have posted on your website, Sound Choice as well, um, and that goes through which ones have the fetal parts in it and which ones are made from other you know, other uh, cell lines. Mm. And so as far as um, adult, adult cell lines, for human cell, you know, they're still using human cell lines, is there has there been a lot of um, takeoff in regard to that that you've seen? Well, you know, I think a lot of this um, current emphasis is because of the coronavirus pandemic, mm. and so there are adult cells that can be used when when we have um, reagents uh, made for our lab, we we pay extra and we have adult cells use a cell line called HT1080. And, and even more importantly, there are, there are other cell lines. There are carrot cell lines. There are insect cell lines that can be used, you know, to make, make these vaccines and make other reagents. So yes, there are always alternatives and we have never found an instance where we could not make something that we needed in a cell line that wasn't from an aborted human baby. But for the coronavirus, you know, this virus is its different than any virus we've ever seen. It's as contagious as the common cold. 
it impacts it impacts lung function like the first SARS viruses mm. that came out in 2002-2003. It attacks the immune system in some in individuals more ferociously than HIV, mm. and it looks like it's chronic. So uh, it it really appears that it was accidentally, and I worked with deadly viruses, uh, so I know how to prevent accidents, and obviously they didn't, but accidentally released from a lab. Um, you know, viruses in nature just don't get this lucky to be so uh, complicated and, 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 and potentially wreak problems for decades. So it, it's already mutated. There are over 30 strains. And it, the, the, the protein called the spike protein that all of these vaccines are, are, are hoping to go after, patients who have survived the virus do not make antibodies to that protein. So even though some of them are making antibodies, it's to the M or the N protein of the virus and not to the S protein. Mm. And what that says is that if we don't naturally make antibodies to prevent that virus from entering our body, how is a vaccine going to work? <laughs> it's not. Wow. That's not a solution. And and all these companies rushing to do that, they they started before they had the science, but now we have the science. And the science says vaccines aren't going to work. But there's a rush. And I think uh, my personal opinion is there's a rush. And I think Bishop Strickland also mentioned this last week in an interview. There's a rush because uh, follow the money. It could be big business. And especially if you uh, mandate the vaccine on a global scale. Uh, we have just about five minutes For left. Sure, but ma- ma- mandate an ineffective vaccine and waste billions of dollars. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, we have about so uh, four we minutes. Have, we have about four uh, minutes left in our in our radio interview across the Guadalupe Radio Network. But we tend to stay on uh, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter for another half hour. And uh, so I just want to say we have a few minutes left before we have to sign off across the Guadalupe Radio Network. But we'll stay on uh, the live video feed and continue our conversation for another half hour. We're talking with Dr. Uh, Teresa Deicher from Sound Choice Pharmaceuticals about vaccines and and COVID and and all of that. And uh, boy, uh, when you said uh, viruses don't get that lucky i i chuckled because that's shocking it's like it, the reality that this is an engineered uh thing that came out of a lab that even by mistake and look at the look what it's done to to the world it's just it it seems astonishing to me that if it wasn't true it'd be funny but uh at any rate uh where's the silver lining in all of this is there a silver lining in all of this uh you know one of the points i wanted to bring up in our conversation before we get off and again we only have a few minutes left is uh it, what's the relation between the work david delyden did and the videos that he uh, that he produced of undercover uh investigating the selling of baby body parts to pharmaceuticals and research firms for medical therapies is there any link there is there any co- um what, what can we learn from all of this? And we have about three minutes left in the radio program. Yeah. Well, I was testifying in David's defense uh, in San Francisco last fall. And um, I told David on one of our first conversations when he contacted me about what was going on, that um, in many cases the abor- the babies were aborted live and dismembered live. Mm. 
and they had to be living because of the type of research that was being reported. And um, David's investigation was therefore to um, un- uncover a crime. It is a crime mm. to deliver a living baby, many times at five to six months gestation, mm. and cut their heart or brain out without anesthesia. Mm. We wouldn't do that to a mouse. Or a convicted and, murderer. Or a convicted murderer. And, you know, David's uh, quest was to expose a crime. Um, so I, I pray for he and, and, and Sandra Merritt. Um, all charges should be dismissed against them. But when we accept vaccines manufactured in aborted fetal cells, even if that, the, the abortion was back in the 1960s or 1970s, it may seem different to us, but to non-Catholics or non-religious people, they say, well, why is it bad to use to dismember the bodies of living aborted babies today? If it was okay to use it for vaccines, it's always okay. So we send the wrong message. Mm. When we only think about messaging to Catholics, the world doesn't like to hear from Catholics unless they can turn our message to their advantage, and then they're all over it. We're talking with Dr. Teresa Deicher from Sound Choice Pharmaceuticals, uh, and uh, it's been uh, it's a difficult conversation in many ways just for the topic alone, but then there's the science aspect that goes to it. It's hard for knuckle-draggers like me to wrap our brains around, but uh, uh, the website is sound, it's soundchoice.org, soundchoice.org, and there is an open letter to legislators on the website that I found very good. It was very well written, and uh, it helps uh, laymen like me to really understand some of the issues that are at stake here in a clear and concise way, and I really want to encourage our listeners to check out soundchoice.org, but also maybe look for that open letter to legislators. Uh, Dr. Teresa, I don't know if you can hang out with us. We'd love to have you on for a few more minutes to ask some more questions. Uh, If you can, hang out. All right, praise God, so stick around for that. Dear uh, listener, thank you for being a part of the GRN Monday edition. Our colleague Dave Palmer will be on Friday for more of GRN Alive. And don't forget, brand new website out. I really would love for you to check this out at grnonline.com. It's going to deliver the GRN brand with your local information, provided you allow for location services when it asks you uh, to know your location. If you do that, it'll deliver your local station. You can listen to it right away. Get your local programming, your local contact information, your local events, and even listen to podcast versions of all the shows that you love most right at grnonline.com. And this Friday morning, we kick off our Ready, Set, Go online auction. Check it out, grnonline.com. Thank you for listening to GRN Alive. From the studios of the Guadalupe Radio Network. For more faith, fun, and facts, join our email list. Just text the letters GRN to the number 42828. That's GRN to the number 42828. And take Jesus wherever you go this week.
KSHJ is brought to you by UST's new MLA degree with a concentration in education. UST's MLA education degree is a liberal arts alternative to a full MED. It can be completed all or in part online for educators looking to advance both their professional and subject matter expertise. I'm Tom Baird, Director of UST's Master in Liberal Arts. I look forward to designing a program just for you. Just Google UST slash MLA and search no further. Blessed be God. Blessed be His holy name. Blessed be Jesus Christ, true God and true man. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Blessed be His most sacred heart. Blessed be His most precious blood. Blessed be Jesus in the most holy sacrament of the altar. Blessed be the Holy Spirit of Paraclete. Blessed be the Great Mother of God, Mary Most Holy. Blessed be her holy and immaculate conception. Blessed be her glorious assumption. Blessed be the name of Mary, Virgin and Mother. Blessed be Saint Joseph, her most chaste spouse. Blessed be God in his angels and in his saints. Amen.